Crab's Journal, number six. I drove off the main highway for about an hour before dawn and turned down the secondary highway, traveling about 30 miles until I reached a small town whose name I've forgotten. Noelville or something like that. The main street of the town hit the highway at right angles, and I turned right, quickly leaving behind a row of wood frame stores, a bank, a hotel, a straggle of wooden bungalows. In the near dawn, the buildings looked tired and defeated. About 20 miles outside of town, well into the bush, signs advertising Ithaca Camp began to appear. The road was narrower here, and the blacktop had turned to gravel a long time ago. I had to watch carefully for the logging road I wanted, but managed to find it, and turned the station wagon onto it just as the sky was beginning to brighten. I had met no other car since I had left the main highway. The logging road hadn't been used since the previous autumn by the look of the heavy layer of leaves. A good sign. I had to drive slowly. Branches that canopied the track whacked the side of the wagon and thumped hollowly against the canoe. I drove for about 10 minutes until I spotted a good hiding place for the car. A big stand of evergreens packed fairly close together, but allowing room to ram the wagon into the middle of them. I could barely get the door open. Stretching my creaky limbs, I hadn't dared to stop except to take a leak, so I had driven all night. I looked around and caught sight of the river through the branches. It was a dull gray color in the flat lighting. The forest was quiet. Only light bird song could be heard. The air was chilly. Always listening for motors or voices, I spent a few hours doing hard work. First, I unloaded the packs and dragged them down to the riverbank, covering them with leaves in case a fishing boat happened along. Then I hauled the canoe down from the roof of the wagon banging it and my head against the branches above the station wagon and dragged it near the packs where I covered it with branches and leaves. Lastly, I cut boughs to hide the car even better than it already was. Satisfied that the family auto would escape the notice of anyone who wasn't looking for it, I sat down in a sunny patch near the river, but out of sight, leaned back against a tree and munched on a chocolate bar. I'll tell you, some chocolate bars taste better than others. That one was the best I've ever had. The afternoon sun was warm, and I was tired. A fresh breeze fooled around with the branches, rustling the dead leaves that clung to the trees since the previous autumn. The big river looked flat, lazy, and slow, murmuring gently as it slipped by. I fell asleep. I woke once in the dark. I woke once in the dark, a little chilly, and dug my sleeping bag out of the pack. In a wink, I was bundled up and back asleep. The next time I opened my eyes, it was about an hour before dawn, the time I always get up at home. I have to. I could never get to sleep again. But this morning, something was missing, the churning in my stomach that told me my nerves were getting ready for another day. After taking a drink from the river, I set quickly to work. The sky was clear and starry with plenty of light. Lifting the canoe to the water and launching it was lesson number one. On the first try, I half dragged half lifted it to the water, but not too well because it went in cockeyed and took on a couple gallons of river. So I dragged it out again, rolled it over to dump out the water and tried again a few yards down river where the bank sloped more gradually into the water. Fine. I went back for the gear and turned around just in time to see the canoe, the canoe floating gently downstream. It cost me two wet legs, two legs wet to the crotch to retrieve it. 
That was when I thought it would be a good idea to, to attach a rope to the bow. That done, I tied the boat to a log on the bank and went back for the packs. Manhandling a huge pack filled with mostly tinned food into a canoe that bobs and tips with every move you make is no easy task, especially when you have to do it twice. And a third time for the equipment pack. It was no consolation that I'd be eating my way through the food. But I did it. I got it all in, stowed the extra paddle, then looked anxiously for a place to sit. I'd only been in the canoe with another person, you know who. Did I sit in the teeny seat at one end that was situated almost at the point, or in the slightly wider one at the other end, which at least had some legroom? I tried the first. I had no legroom because of the packs, and when I sat down, the other end of the boat shot out of the water and remained suspended in midair, and my ass was about one inch from the water. Now this can't be it, I thought. I got out and stared at the arrangement for a minute. Then a thought struck me. I, regretfully, dragged the three heavy packs which I had stowed wherever they fit and placed two of them resting on the long edges side by side beside the narrower of the two seats. <clears throat> I threw the haversack that held my clothes into a little space in front of that seat, almost bouncing it into the river. Then I took the third big pack and put it in the center of the boat, just behind the thwart. Carefully, I got in again and gingerly sat down. The craft seemed to the craft seemed to sit flat on the water. I was very pleased with myself until I remembered I had brought no life jacket. Oh well, too late now. Time was passing. I wanted to be past Ithaca Camp and way out onto the lake by light, so I pushed off into the current. I don't know nearly enough funny words to describe the way my, my brave craft and I traveled down that river. If I'd had to paddle upstream rather than down, I'd still be there, cursing and weaving and turning complete circles in the middle of the river and bumping the banks. I realized in about five seconds that paddling a canoe by yourself, in the dark too, was a lot harder than sitting in the front, putting the blade into the water every once in a while as the person in the back does all the work. I guess I imagined the thing steered itself. As soon as I accomplished one stroke, the current took the canoe over, and I was more or less part of the baggage. Near the lake as it was, the river was wide, flat, and slow, and I could almost guide the boat along. I went backwards part of the time, turned a couple of 360s, and nudged a few logs and rocks, but I made it safe and a bit scared to the river mouth. It was daybreak by then. There was a gray-white smear on the horizon that showed a sky beginning to cloud over. At the river mouth, I ran into a sandbar just beneath the surface and had to step out into the, cold, into the ice cold water and drag the canoe over the bar and into the lake. Luckily, there was just a faint breeze. My humorous and inefficient paddling made it slow going. I'd get in a couple of strokes on the right, sending me in a forward arc toward the left shore. Changing sides and repeating the motion pushed me to the right. Thus, I zigged and zagged toward a large stand of white trees on the farther shore that, I remembered, marked the way out of the lake. I was anxious to get across the water, which was about two miles wide. I paddled hard and was soon tired. After I'd worked for an hour and was halfway across, I turned to look back at the camp. With relief, I saw that I was certainly too far away to be describable. After what seemed like ages, I made the far shore 
letting the canoe scrape softly onto a beach. All my muscles were sore and complaining, especially arms and shoulders, and I was breathing hard. Blisters had begun to form across my palms and in the hollows of my thumbs. All this after only two miles. Still, I felt a sense of accomplishment. Out of sight of the camp, I was officially free. Strange how that word soon took on a new and unexpected meaning.